Chapter 7 Overcoming the Evil One There are men who have overcome the devil, and they have overcome him in many shapes. There are many pictures of the devil around, but I am afraid that none of them are accurate, for he assumes different shapes in different places. He is a chameleon, always affected by the light in which he happens to be. He is a proteus, assuming every shape so that it may serve his purpose. Some young men have overcome that blue devil that keeps men despairing, doubting, trembling, and fearing. You once were subject to him. You said that you could not believe in Christ. You were afraid you would never be saved. You wrote bitter things against yourself. But now you have cast him out by a simple faith in Jesus, for you know whom you have believed, and you are persuaded that he is able to keep that which you have committed unto him. 2 Timothy 1.12. You have overcome that devil, and although he does try to come back, and when your business is a little troublesome or your liver may not be acting properly, he tries to sneak his way in, yet by God's grace he will never fasten the old chains on you again. Then there is that dust-eating devil of whom we can never speak too badly, the yellow devil of the mammon of unrighteousness, Luke 16, 9 the love of gold and silver. This is the dreadful god of London that rolls over this city as if it were all its own. I think I see him as a dragon on the top of the church steeple, laughing at the inscription of Psalm 24, 1 over the royal exchange, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is laughing because he knows better, for he believes that it all belongs to him. Just as he said to Christ long ago, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Matthew 4, 9. What deceit is done nowadays in business for the love of gold? In fact, some of us who are not businessmen, but who nevertheless are not blind, know that dishonest marks and dishonest measures have become so systematic that their effect is lost, and the thing itself is almost as honest as if it were honest. It is the fact that men have become so accustomed to say that three times two makes seven that their neighbors all say, Exactly so, and we will pay you for the goods using the same kind of calculation, so that the thing has to align itself. However, the genuine Christian, the man who is strong and has the word of God abiding in him, rejects all this. He hears others say, We must live, but he replies, Yes, but we must die. He determines that he will not throw away his soul in order to grasp wealth, and that if it is not possible to become a wealthy merchant without violating the code of honor and Christ's law, then he will be content to be poor. Young man, if you have reached this conclusion, you have overcome the wicked one indeed. I am afraid there are some people with gray heads who have hardly tried to fight this. It is sad for them. Another form of the wicked one we must speak of softly, but oh, how difficult she is to be overcome by the young man. I am referring to Madame Wanton, lust, immorality, promiscuity, that fair but foul, that smiling but murderous monster of hell by whom so many are deluded. Solomon spoke of the strange woman, Proverbs 2, 16, 5, 3, Seven, five, but the strong Christian in whom the word of God abides, 
passes by her door and shuts his ear to her siren song. He flees youthful lusts that war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11 He reserves both his body and his soul for his Lord, who has redeemed him by his precious blood. Young man, if you are strong and have overcome the wicked one, you have overcome, I believe, that Lucifer of pride, and it is your work to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6 8. You have given up all idea of merit. You cannot boast or exhort yourself, but you bow humbly at the foot of the cross and adore Him who has saved you from the wrath to come. I trust, young man, that you have also given up all subjection to the great red dragon of fashion, who draws with his tail even the very stars of heaven. Revelation 12 4. There are some people who would think it is far worse to be considered unfashionable than to be thought unchristian. To be unchristian would be such a common accusation that they could submit to it, but to be unfashionable would be horrible indeed. Young men in London get to be influenced by this. If the young men in the house are going to a certain entertainment, if they all read a certain kind of book, if they are immoral and corrupt and unbelieving, then the temptation is to join in with them. Only the man who is strong and has the word of God abiding in him will overcome the wicked one by doing only what is right. Faithful among the faithless found. Footnote. This comes from Book 5 of John Milton's Paradise Lost, which says, So spake the seraph Abdiel, faithful found, among the faithless, faithful only he. Of course, certain talents are necessary for certain positions, but it is a rule without exception that every child of God may be useful in the family of God. God does not have one single servant for whom He has not appointed a service. You are now strong. This very strength that you now have will enable you to do mission work for God, and the graces that have been worked in you through Christ Jesus, faith, love, courage, patience, are your preparations for sacred labor. If you are to be a minister, you may need to acquire a measure of learning. If you are to be a missionary, you will need a special kind of training, but you can get these. God will give you strength to obtain them, and the spiritual strength will go very far to help you. Meanwhile, for other work, all the strength you require is that which you already possess. There are people in the world who will not let us speak a word to the unconverted because they say, and say very truly, that unconverted people are dead in sin, and therefore we are not to tell them to live because they have no power to live. They forget that we have the power in the vitalizing Word and Spirit of God, and that as we speak the Word of God, power goes with it. There is among us too much forgetfulness of the fact that we actually have power from on high. We are always praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is very appropriate, but remember that we have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is here. He's not always outwardly observable, but He is given to His church to abide in every one of His people, and if we would only believe in His presence, we would feel this more. Those who preach most successfully will tell you that one cause of it is that they expect to be successful. They don't preach hoping that one or two may be saved, but they know that they will be, because the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. 
Romans 1.16. They believe in the Holy Spirit, and those who do believe see the Holy Spirit, but those who only hesitantly hope in the Holy Spirit do not discern Him. According to their faith, so is it unto them. Matthew 9.29. Believe, my brother, that as a believer you have within you the power that is necessary for reforming that house of business of yours, which is now so godless, into a house of prayer. Believe it, and begin to work like those who do believe it. Believe that those who pass you in the morning, my young artisan friend, may be and will be converted by you and by God if you speak to them out of your heart. Go up to them as one who knows that God is working with him. They will be awed by your manner, and if they reject your message, their consciences will feel the effect. If the young man inquires for tools and weapons with which to serve his master, know that the word of God abideth in you. 1 John 2.14 If you desire to teach others, you don't have to ask what the lesson will be, for it abides in you. Do you want a text that will make an impression on the careless? What made an impression on you? You cannot have a better text. You desire to speak a word in season from the Word of God that will be likely to comfort the downhearted. What has comforted your own soul? You cannot have a better guide. You have within your own experience a tutor that cannot fail you, and you also have an encouragement that cannot be taken from you. The Word of God within you will well up like a spring, and truth and grace will pour forth from you in rivers. I have heard our Lord compared to a man carrying a water pot, and as he carried it upon his shoulder, the water fell, dropping, 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 so that everyone could track the water bearer. All God's people should be like this, carrying such a fullness of grace that everyone should know where they have been by that which they have left behind. He who had lain in the beds of spices will perfume the air through which he walks. One who, like Asher, has dipped his foot in oil, Deuteronomy 33.24, will leave his footprints behind him. When the living and incorruptible seed remains within, 1 Peter 1.23, the divine instincts of the new nature will guide you to the wisest methods of activity. You will do the right thing under the inward impulse rather than the written law, and your personal salvation will be your prime qualification for seeking out others of your master's flock. You have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 2.13 Once a man has given Satan a slap in the face, he doesn't need to be afraid of men. If you have often stood toe-to-toe with a violent temptation, and after wrestling have overcome it, you can laugh to scorn all the puny adversaries who assail you. Being experienced in inward conflicts will breed manliness within the young man and will make him a truly muscular Christian. You have overcome Satan by the power of grace. You. Then there is hope that, in the Sunday school class that you teach, that Satan may again be conquered in the hearts of those boys and girls. There is hope for that drunken man you have been talking with lately. Why should he not overcome the wicked one? You were once weak enough, but grace has made you strong. What grace has done for you, it can do for another. Someone said, 
After I was saved myself, I never despaired of anyone else. The fact that you have been enabled to achieve a conquest in a very terrible strife should comfort you with regard to all other cases. Go into the back slums, they're not far off. Penetrate the dark lanes and alleys. You have overcome the wicked one. You cannot meet with anything worse than him whom you have already conquered. Let the majesty of grace in your souls be comfort and motivation to you, and never say that anything is too hard for you to do when you have already met Apollyon face to face and saw him retreat in defeat. In the French wars, certain young men, unhappily, found their names written down in the conscription and were marched to the wars. In a war from which none of us desire to escape, I hope there are young men whose names are written down, heavenly conscripts, who are summoned more fully than ever before in their lives to go forth to the battle of the Lord of hosts. I invite every young man who is already converted to God to dedicate himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter that I can talk you into, nor indeed would I try it, but I would ask you to sit still a moment and consider with yourselves in this way. I am a believer in Christ. I have recently been to the sacramental table. I profess to have been chosen by God, to have been redeemed with His precious blood, to have been separated from the rest of mankind, and to be destined for a most magnificent immortality. Am I living as a redeemed one should live? Passing your hand over your brow thoughtfully, you will probably conclude, I am not. I am serving God, I hope, in some way, but not with all my heart, soul, and strength as I should be doing. What about my time? Do I devote as much of that as I can to sacred work? What about my talent? Does that display itself most in the literary association or in the Sunday school? Are my oratorical abilities most developed in the debating room or in preaching at the street corner? Am I giving to Christ the prime, the best, and the strength of my life? If I'm not, I should do so. I should be entirely Christ's. It's not that I should leave my business, but I must make my business Christ's business. I should so conduct it and distribute its results as to prove that I am Christ's steward working in the world for Him and not for self. If today you will not simply vow, but will pray that from this time forward there will not be a drop of blood in your body, nor a hair of your head, nor a penny in your pocket, nor a word on your tongue, nor a thought in your heart that will not be completely the Lord's, I will be glad enough. It will be good if you take a step further as recruits, you holy work folk, as they used to call those who lived around the cathedral at Durham and were exempt from all service to the baron because they served the church, think of some specific walk and area in which, as young men, you can devote yourselves wholly to Christ. Generalities in religion are always to be avoided, and more especially generalities in service. A man might come to you for a job, and you might ask him, What do you do? If he replies, I'm a painter, or I'm a carpenter, you might be able to find him work. But if he says, Oh, I can do anything, you understand that he can do nothing. So it is with a sort of spiritual laborers who profess to be able to do anything in the church, but who really do nothing. What can you do? What is your calling? Schools for the poor children? Sunday schools? 
Street preaching. Tract distribution. Here is a choice for you. Which do you select? Don't waste time, but say, This is my calling, and by God's grace I will give myself up to it. I intend to do it as well as, or if possible, better than anyone ever did it. If I teach in the school, I will be a thoroughly good teacher of those little children. If I teach in the Sunday school, I intend to make myself as efficient in the class as ever a teacher could be. It will be no small blessing to the churches that you represent if such a decision is made, and if the workers are of such a type. There are many men who should be employed in Christian work who avoid it or abstain from participating in it. You don't need to think that you will gain earthly wealth by it. If you have any idea of that kind, I must ask you to keep breaking stones or continue in whatever work you are doing, for that will pay you better. If you have any idea that you will find the ministry an easy life, I entreat you to try treading grain in a mill, for that would be an amusement compared with the life of a genuine Christian minister, in London at least. However, if you feel an intense earnestness, if you have succeeded in speaking on other subjects and have had some influence, think whether you can devote yourself to the work of God. Oh, young man, if I cast an ambitious thought into your mind, I mean it only for my master's glory. If the Lord should say, Separate me, Saul and Barnabas, to this work, Acts 13, 2, if he should call out some fine, noble young fellow who might have given himself up, perhaps, to the pursuits of business, but who now will dedicate himself to the service of the Christian ministry, it would be well. Be careful that you don't keep back whom God would have. May there not also be some young man who will enlist for missionary service abroad? I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 2.14 You are the men we need. Wanted, young men who are strong, in whom the word of God abides, and who have overcome the wicked one. You who are weak had better stop at home in the Christian nursery a little while. You, in whom the word of God does not yet abide, have need to stay until you are taught the elements of the faith. You who have not overcome the wicked one had better flash your unproven swords in home fields of conflict first. You are not the men who are now needed. However, you who are strong enough to do and to dare for Jesus, you who are spiritually minded enough to have overcome the monster of evil within yourselves, you are the men to fight Satan abroad in his strongholds of heathenism, Roman Catholicism, and Islam. You, the finest men of the church, are the men whom the missionary society requires. Think of it before you go to sleep, and if the Lord prompts you, come forward and say, Here am I, send me. Isaiah 6, 8. It is good to be zealous always in a good thing. Galatians 4, 8. We should forget the things that are behind and press forward to that which is before. Philippians 3, 13. It will be a great thing when all Christian businessmen do what some are doing, giving of their substance to the cause of Christ in due proportion. It is a blessed thing for a young man to begin business with the rule that he will give the Lord at least his tenth. 
That habit of weekly setting it aside for Christ, and then giving to Christ out of His own bag instead of giving from your own purse, is a most blessed one. Cultivate it, you young tradesmen, who have just set up in business for yourselves. You good wives, help your husbands to do it. You young men who are clerks and have regular incomes, make that a regular part of your weekly business, and let some portion of the consecrated treasure go to the Lord's foreign field. At the same time, never let your donations to this or that cause be used as an attempt to excuse you from personal service. Give yourselves to Christ. Give your whole selves in the highest state of strength. Give your whole selves constantly, intelligently, and without adding any selfish or ulterior motives.